The text that calls for our attention this Lord's Day is our gospel reading for today, the account of the transfiguration from Mark chapter 9, and especially these words. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Super Bowl is that one sporting event in which the commercials get almost as much hype as the game itself. This year, other than the handful of commercials which simply wanted to introduce you to a new product that they hoped you would buy, there were two other main kinds of commercials. The first were the commercials that sought to just be uproariously funny, which didn't really much care if the humor itself had much to do with their product or not. But then there were the commercials that intended to make you think. This was especially true of a series of commercials put out by the Toyota Corporation. The first one I saw in this series was indeed a very moving piece about a para-Olympian who chased her dreams all the way into reality. However, the next one I saw I didn't find nearly as inspiring. Perhaps you saw it as well. It was a Jewish rabbi who began by leaving his synagogue. He grabbed his keys and jumped in his new Toyota truck. The next thing you knew, he was stopping at the Catholic Church to pick up his buddy who happened to be a priest. Cut to another scene, and they were pulling up and playing hijinks with their friend who happened to be an Islamic imam. And finally, they stopped one more time to pick up their Buddhist monk friend. The next thing we saw was these people were all together at the football game, sitting right next to three Catholic nuns. And that's when the words came up on the screen, we are all one team. Now Toyota on their website says that this commercial was just an amusing, lighthearted narrative illustrating how people from diverse backgrounds unite to celebrate the spirit of what brings them together, their shared passion of sports. But I think most people watching it know that there was something more being suggested than simply that different people might enjoy football together. It was that closing caption that really made all the difference. It suggested that all religions are essentially the same. And therefore, there was nothing that should stop members of one religion from sharing every level of fellowship with members of another. After all, we're all on the same team. So are we? Are we all on the same team? I mean, there's no doubt, although it kind of sounds like the beginning to a bad joke, that a rabbi, a priest, an imam, and a Buddhist monk could go to a ball game and enjoy it together. But are we truly on the same team, so to speak? I would suggest that the easiest way to determine if that statement is true 
would be to take all the people there in that commercial and ask them one simple question. Who is Jesus? The Jewish rabbi would have to admit, if he was honest, that in general Jesus had been thought of by the Orthodox Jews as a counterfeit Messiah who tried to lead people away from the one true God and from the true religion of Judaism. The imam would actually gladly proclaim that Jesus was a prophet of God, but he would condemn anyone who would try to say that Jesus was the Son of God or that he died upon a cross. The Buddhist monk, well, he would perhaps say that Jesus was a very wise teacher and must be that he had gained such wisdom by his many lives he had lived before that he had become enlightened through the process of reincarnation. The priest, we hope, would confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I bet at that point, if you asked each person that question and had them give the answers, even the sharing of nachos and peanuts might get a little bit more awkward. You see, the illusion that all religions are the same is easily, always easily removed rather, by focusing on who Jesus is. To a large extent, the account of the transfiguration of our Lord is also focused on who Jesus is. Throughout the Gospel of Mark up to this point, much of which we've heard in our Gospel readings from week to week, People have tried to state who Jesus is. But surprisingly, the only ones who have come really, really close have been the demons. They're the ones that proclaimed that Jesus was the Holy One of God and wondered if he had come finally to destroy them. Just before our text in the Gospel of Mark, Peter had come so close to getting it right in fact, with what he said, he got it perfectly right. He had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. However, in an, act, in an interaction with Jesus shortly after, he made clear that he thought that Christ should go into Jerusalem, kick out the earthly rulers, and set up his throne there. So while the confession of his mouth was indeed perfect, perfect enough to be praised by Jesus himself, the understanding in his heart of what the Messiah would do was still not right. So who is it in the Gospel of Mark that first clears up all the confusion about who Jesus is? Well, it is the Father himself. Yes, after Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus transfigured, after they had watched as Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus there on that mountain, a cloud, we are told, came over the mountain. A cloud that signaled that God himself was present. And from that cloud, a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So who is Jesus? Well, he is the one that the law and the prophets had pointed to. He is the Son of Almighty God. And he is the Christ. 
And if you want to understand what all those titles really mean, well, then you better listen to Jesus, for he will tell you, instead of just relying on your own understandings. For our gut instinct would be to think that one who has so many lofty titles granted to him would surely rule by force first and foremost. He would prove his worth through many means and all means possible. But if you listen to Jesus, you knew otherwise. He had already taught his disciples and would continue to teach them that the way in which he would rule would leave everyone else astounded. He would be king, not by rule of force, but by humbling himself, in order that he might be handed over, be crucified, and then rise on the third day. Yes, this is who Jesus is. This is who the Messiah is. And this is who Jesus is because this is who God is. You see, God is a God who empties himself, suffering every humiliation in order that he might serve us, winning salvation for us. And we ought never to forget that. For many times, we in our own lives, too, think that God should always display his glory forcefully in our lives and in the world around. We think that God should display his glory by producing miracle after miracle that would surely force everyone into belief. But when we think that way, we forget that it was very much the opposite approach that won us our salvation Yes, we forget that it was in humbling himself and not showing his glory all of the time in order that he won our salvation. Yes, we forget that he works in ways that we could hardly ever imagine to bring to us goods that we could never produce. And so we should repent of those times when we decide we will tell God how it is that he should do his saving work. And secondly, we also should remember that as the children of God and the brother of Christ, we are called to imitate his ways in our lives. We too must remember that we are not to rule in the world by somehow making ourselves the focus, but rather we are to time and time again humble ourselves in order that we might serve our neighbors and bring them good gifts from the Father as well. Too often we hate to accept the humility that it takes to truly serve the least of our brothers and sisters in Christ or those who are living outside in the world. For this too we must repent. And then we must do what the Father instructs once again. We must listen to Jesus, the Christ, his beloved Son. And what does he say? Well, he tells you that he went down the Mount of Transfiguration and up the Mount of Crucifixion, that your sins might be forgiven. He tells you that the sins caused by your misunderstanding of his ways, they are forgiven. And he tells you also that those sins that can be described as nothing else but rebellion against his ways that you know quite well, well, they are forgiven as well. 
Yes, listen to Jesus today and listen to him every day. Listen to him here in church and listen to him in your home. For it is only by listening to Jesus that our misunderstandings are day by day corrected and our life is day by day restored. The glory on the Mount of Transfiguration proves that Jesus is in fact the Holy One of God who comes to destroy the demons. The glory there proves that he is the one who Moses and Elijah had prophesied about throughout the years. The glory there proves that he is the beloved Son of God. But the message of who he is will not be completed until we listen closely to him. We must listen as he says that he will be handed over to death. We must listen closely as he breathes his last breath upon the cross. We must listen again as his feet, once cold with death, hit the ground running once more. For it is then and only then that we will know just who Jesus is. And when we know who Jesus is, well then we can rejoice with a joy that is unthinkable apart from that knowledge. For we end up rejoicing that the one who shined with all the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration has also bled upon the Mount of Calvary for us and for our salvation. Amen.